WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week, our guest is the writer of Marvel's Taskmaster, Black Cat, and Avengers Mechstrike, and the new Magic the Gathering series from Boom Studios, Jed McKay. Welcome to the show, Jed. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so uh, we'll start with the icebreaker. Uh, what comics do you remember reading when you first got into the medium? Oh, geez. That's uh, how much time do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I started reading comics um, when I was, I don't know, four or five, something like that, around there. Um, I would read a lot of Tintin comics when I was a kid and a lot of Donald Duck, Uncle Scrooge stuff. So uh, both uh, the old Carl Bark stuff, the Don Rosa stuff. And uh, yeah, that was just really my intro into comic books. Uh, as I got older, uh, then I just basically got into um my dad had basically big boxes of comics from uh, when he was young in the, so like, you know, mostly 70s stuff mm-hmm. and he still kept them all. So basically kind of transitioned from, uh, you know, Tintin and the ducks onto mostly Marvel, mostly 70s stuff. Uh, so, you know, the kind of a whole range, a lot of Kirby stuff, um, you know, all through like the new gods and mm-hmm. uh, the fourth world, um, other stuff, uh, Barry Smith, Conan's, um, Master of Kung Fu uh, was a big one for me. Um, Herb Trimpy Hulk, um, and uh, yeah, the, the early Jim Starlin, you know, Adam Warlock stuff. So, yeah, I had to. It was kind of a broad range of stuff, but also very set in a specific time period. Uh, like in the '90s, I wasn't buying '90s comics because you know that cost money. Uh, instead, I was reading my dad's comics from you know 20, 30 years pre- previously. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, that's that was kind of my my foundation in comic books there. That that that's good. Though. You know, you, you raised on, raised on the classics, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you are you outside right now? I'm I'm noticing a lot of green behind you. <laughs> no, no, that's just uh, my wife's plants. Oh, okay. Plants in good lighting, love it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, it helps it helps the atmosphere. We've got a lot of greenery around here. Thankfully, it's not uh, my job to look after it, so. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be around for uh, very long. Mm. Ah. So, uh, yeah, uh, as, we, as we mentioned, uh, we introduced you. You've got quite a few books out right now, but I figured we would start with uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, sure. your new Boom series with uh, Iguara, based on the mm-hmm. card game. First issue comes out uh, April 7th, uh, so the week that this episode will release. Uh, Matt, uh, as we do so often with these, uh, you want to go ahead and read the uh, synopsis there? Absolutely. Across the vast multiverse, those gifted with a spark can tap into the raw power of magic and travel across realms. They are planeswalkers. When coordinated assassination attempts on guildmasters Ralzarek, Vraska, and Kaya rock the city of Ravnica and leave Jace Balaran's life hanging in the balance, a fuse is lit that threatens not just these three guilds, but the entire plane of Ravnica. Now, these three must covertly infiltrate the wild plain of Zendikar and form a tenuous alliance to uncover why the targets of the assassins have all been planeswalkers, which will lead them straight to one of the most enigmatic characters in magic history. So uh, how, uh, how did you find your way to, uh, to this project? Uh, it was actually during the, kind of the depths and doldrums of uh, the COVID period. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just got an email out of the blue from uh, Amanda LaFranco over at Boom. She said, you know, we're putting together this magic book. 
Um, I've, you know, I've read some of your comics, uh, read some of the, I, I put a lot of short stories on my old website, mm-hmm. uh, back when I was, <clears throat> sorry, before I was writing comics professionally, uh, I was doing a lot of prose writing. So with the writing club I was part of, I'd write a story every month. So I just put it on my blog for no one to read. Um, you know, I, I read some of the stories, the, the fantasy sword and sorcery stuff you put on there. It seemed like a good, good fit. Is this something you'd be interested in? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, magic is something that I was really into uh, when I was, you know, when I was a teenager. Um, I got into it around fourth edition. Ice Age were both on the shelves at the time, um, which I don't remember the specific year that would be, but like I don't know, ninety six. I don't know. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave whatever you say. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> why not? Hey, I, I write the book. Sure. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, my friends and I were really into magic, uh, you know, for about through basically through the end of the nineties, we we're very keen on it. We did a lot of collecting, a lot of trading, a lot of playing. And it was just something that I had a lot of affection for and a lot of nostalgia. And I was like, yeah, sure. That, that'll be you know, a fun thing to do. Uh, and it was, you know, it'd be interesting to get out of the kind of the superhero grind for a bit. Cause that's basically all I've been doing. Uh, well, you know, the superhero world grind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's basically how it came together. Uh, I soon realized that being out of the game for 20 years, uh, a lot of continuity had developed that uh, I was not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made you know superhero continuity seem practically simple. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, you know, there's a lot of online resources, and you know, Wizards of the Coast had a lot of resources to kind of you know give me up speed. Say, here's the characters that we're focusing on now. Here's the characters that we're interested in uh, showcasing, and you know, here's here's the worlds that are around that are that are at your disposal. So yeah, it's, it's a it's really interesting kind of move or side move into a different um, you know different fictional world to work in. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're what what are you know you you've you've mentioned already you know kind of twenty years of of continuity kind of you know, uh, missing that piece of it, but, you know, what are some of the other challenges when you're converting, you know, a, a card game to a story like this? Um, it's, it, I mean, it certainly does have its own challenges. Um, I saw, you know, a question was asked on your, uh, your post there. So I'm saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much do you take mechanics into account when you're, you're writing a story? Yeah. And, that is an interesting challenge because um, I've been getting a, a fair amount of this with Taskmaster, with people saying, well, how can this character beat this character? Why is this character afraid of this character? I'm like, well, that's, that's, it's a comic book. It's a story. It's how it works. It's not like A can beat C automatically, you know? But the challenge with magic is it actually can. They say, well, how did, how did this character kill this creature? when I've got their cards and they have you know, different mechanical abilities, how did that happen? And I mean, you have to be able to create a plausible environment or a plausible situation that would allow these characters to win while also acknowledging the fact that this is, is you know, this is a narrative. It's, it's not a, it's not a game with strict mechanics that are there built for balance. So it's something to keep in mind and it's something that, you know, can present a, a challenge, but I don't think it's something that's been a real problem so far mm-hmm. because ultimately I think people understand that 
people understand that telling a story is very different than playing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have different priorities. You go about it in a different way. And you just have different expectations for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you mentioned when you were uh, growing up reading all your dad's comics and not reading 90s comics because they cost money. Uh, is, this, is this the thing that your allowance was going to at the time? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was, uh, you know, be digging through like the quarter bins and like the 10 cent bins. Um, yeah, it was that. And, you know, uh, Warhammer, Warhammer guys and secondhand role-playing game books uh, was where most of my money was going to uh, when I was a teenager. Interesting. Okay. So, so what color deck did you play? I was all blue, baby. Oh, okay. Where uh, even if I lost the game, I knew my opponent would have a terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, now you're in your book opens in Ravnica. Mm-hmm. Uh, which of the guilds spoke to you? Like, if you could, would be a member of one of the guilds, or just which one was the most interesting for you personally? That was uh, an interesting thing because I remember, like years ago, like one of my friends from high school who uh, he's always kind of stuck with magic and he, you know, every once in a while he'd be like, Oh, you should see this new thing development that's kind of this new thing. And, um, you know, he kind of told me about Ravnica. And at first I kind of poo pooed it a bit. Cause I was like, Oh, this just sounds like, uh, sounds like, you know, sigil from Planescape. Uh, and I thought, you know, it was just, I mean, I, again, it was just completely out of hand. I didn't do any looking into it. It just, uh, was, you know, the, the kind of nerd thing of like, Oh, here's this thing that has a superficial similarity to something else. I'm going to completely dismiss it. Um, but later on, I became very taken with Ravnica, um, which is the coast uh, supplied me with their sort of like branding deck and document uh, with that they had when they were developing the set. And it was just, you know, really interesting and had such, such thought put into it. And, you know, the guilds were, again, were also really interesting. You know, how each had their own niche and, you know, I've had my, the ones I really liked and the ones well, yeah, I don't care so much for, but um, obviously, you know, the Demir, the Demir, House Demir, I like a lot. Uh, you know, I was asked in a boom stream, uh, they asked me and Eag, like, uh, what guild would you like to be a part of? And I said the Demir, uh, because they wear black and it's very slimming. Uh, also, they're very into erasing memories, and I have a terrible memory from the get-go. So uh, I would be considered, you know, a real easy, real, real easy get but other than that, like, you know, I really like the Golgari. I think the Golgari are great. They're, uh, you know, they're scum. They're the bottom, bottom of the heap. And there's something really appealing about, you know, the, these underdogs. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, the, the Izzet League I like a lot now. Because, I mean, again, they're, these are the characters of the, for the book. You know, you've got Ral Zarek with the Izzet. You've got uh, Kaya of the Orzov. And you've got uh, Nebraska of Golgari. Orzov, I like a lot. Uh, with a lot of the multicolored stuff, I really like the black, black and white mana combinations because they have such... I feel like they're more diametrically opposed than a lot of the other color kind of conflicts. You can see red and blue coming together in a different way or green and black or any of those. But black and white, I find, is a really iconic sort of push and pull. And seeing that in the Orzov Syndicate, I think is really fascinating. Uh, this mix of, you know, clergy and criminality, which I mean, I guess you see in the real world anyway. But 
you know, you, you have vampire priests, you know, mixing banking and uh, uh, commerce in with that. I think it's, of them all, I think the Orzhov are probably the most interesting to me. So uh, how involved is uh, Wizards of, of the Coast in this book? I know, you know, with licensed properties, you know, there's, there's, there tends to be obviously layers of oversight besides, you know, standard editorial and stuff like that. Uh, they're pretty involved. Uh, they're, I mean, they're taking it seriously. Uh, Wizards is really kind of doing a push to get the property out there, get, get uh, some new kind of story families. So, yeah, no, they're, they're very involved. They're very interested. I think they're very excited about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, I'll, I'll get notes on them, notes from them on every script saying, you know, we like this. Uh, this needs to be massaged. Uh, you know, can we change this for, to something else? Because we have plans for, some, for this thing and something else. So, you know, they're, they're, they're great to work with in that they, are, they really want this to succeed. They want it to be interesting. They want it to be exciting. Um, so, yeah, like they're, they're involved. But again, it's not like a, an albatross around my neck or anything sure. like that. <laughs> so I think I've gotten an impression of this answer from something you said before. But uh, are you into other CCGs or RPGs? Um, my knowledge of Ravnica comes from the D&D source book and playing a nearly two-year-long campaign in Ravnica. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a hoot, and I got to play a delightfully off-kilter character. <laughs> yeah. Um, CCGs, I, I, I've... I haven't really picked up again since my youth. Like I've, I've still got my big box of uh, magic cards, um, which I mean, I can show you if you want to see it, but, uh, <laughs> it, uh, but in it, I've also got, you know, cards like we would, like in the nineties, there's a huge CCG boom. They had a mm-hmm. card game, basically everything. There was an X-Files CCG card game. I there have was, many of those cards. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a Highlander card game. Oh, like, wow. Highlander. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's, there's Spellfire, which was horrible. The uh, the terrible that was the terrible Dungeons and Dragons one. Um, you know, Sailor Moon had one, I think. Dragon Ball definitely had one. Oh yeah. But basically, any property you could possibly license, they would do a, a card game of. Mm-hmm. So my my shop would bring them in. Eventually, they would not sell, and then they would go on discount. And my friends and I would buy it. So you know, I've got I've got a deck of Shadowrun uh, cards. I've got a deck of Middle Earth cards, which I've never played. I don't even know where they came from. Um, we used to we used to be very into the Seventh Sea card game, uh, No Quarter. That was great. Uh, I got I have Aliens versus Predator, which used to play, which is a, a, a weird but cool card game. Um, uh, a bunch of um, Arcadia, the White Wolf Changeling card game, and then a few years. I actually got really into collecting uh, Over the Edge, which is the... Wait, is Over the Edge on the Edge? I think it's Over the Edge, which is the card game of the On the Edge role-playing game uh, from Atlas. And I really, I really liked the role-playing game for a long time. I thought it was like a real interesting distillation of 90s weirdness. And you could buy booster boxes for you know nothing on eBay. So I'm like, oh, what the hell? I'll collect these. It'll be fun. So now I have like an enormous collection of these cards that uh, for a game that no one plays and has not played for 20 years, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's fun to have a hobby, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm very, I really like, I really like role-playing games a lot. A lot of that I think is where 
when I was, you know, a lot younger, it it's, was something that helped me to make up stories, uh, making up characters, and then figure out what I wanted to do with those characters. Having a framework kind of for your imagination, I thought was really helpful when I was younger. And, you know, to this day, some of these characters are, you know, making their way into other properties. Um, I'm able to tell stories with them. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's all, it's all grist for the mill, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I gotta be honest, as soon as you said there was a Highlander game, like the wheels in my head start turning. I'm like, the Highlander games just gotta be Uno because there can be only one. Oh, hey, hey. Yeah. Anyways, I'll, yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Uh, <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah, no, that is, that's a red flag. That joke was a red flag. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, while we're, we're, we're talking about kind of the, the intersectionality between comics and card games, uh, one of our other Twitter questions, uh, Asimov Fangirl, the loyalist content consumer, asked, uh, you know, which Marvel characters are more likely to be Magic the Gathering players? Oh, geez, that's not a question I've, uh, I expected or thought about. <laughs> um, I mean, probably none of the ones I write. I don't think, <laughs> um, and I don't think Felicia has the attention span for it. And uh, Taskmaster just doesn't have any friends, so you have no one to play with. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can okay. tell you, like Ms. Marvel, maybe. Yeah, no, that's right. It, it seems up her alley. Yeah. Her, her, I can see her and Miles playing. Uh, yeah, I, I would also imagine they they did that one issue of Captain Marvel. Either right, either right before or right after the the pause, where Carol has a poker game and Kamala can't play because gambling. Right. I could see her trying to convince Carol and all their friends to have a magic night, and everyone just being utterly confused. I, I think a couple people I mean, have Alpha Flight or game. <laughs> uh, I mean, they don't have a whole lot else going on. I mean, I, I, I do love my my sweet. Babies in Alpha Flight. Of course. But, uh, right. wrote- no, actually, I mean, I, I was thinking recently, like, because as the Alpha Flight characters keep getting split off to do other stuff, like, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, Max over in that uh, Janus organization, and, uh, you know, Sasquatch is dead, and Puck's over in Gamma Flight, and mm-hmm. Aurora Northstar over in X Factor. I was like, man, there's not really a whole lot of Alpha Flight teammate, team members left outside, like, the more extraneous ones. Because man, I'm always in my heart of hearts. I'm hoping for an Alpha Flight, you know, read, you know, a new Alpha Flight book. Sure. But it's like having, you know, an Avengers book when all the Avengers are on different teams. I mean, Marina's still around. Yeah. And as much as I like Marina, she's the only maritime Canadian on that uh, team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of tough to anchor a book around her. Is she? You know, Shaman's still around. Yeah. Is he teaching at Strange Academy? I don't know if he's reg- I don't know if he's regular staff, but I think he was there. I don't know. I don't remember. I feel like I can never tell if the Strange Academy staff are guest lecturers or if they actually work there. Yeah, it seems like there's you know what, Doctor Voodoo and Zelda and a few of them are regulars, but it seems like most of them are sort of rotating. Yeah. There's a discussion to be had about, you know, what the tenure situation is at the academy. (laughs) Well, I mean, if if you're putting Dr. Strange in charge of your payroll, you're going to get what you get. Yeah. If you don't get eaten by the mindless ones for your, for four semesters, you have tenure. 
<laughs> sure, but well, for a for a, you know a given value of tenure, also that. <laughs> um, so I, I imagine that you know you you've done prep you know a, a, a fair bit of press for Magic. You know, is there you know what's the most sort of niche? You know, let's see if this guy really knows the game. Question that you recall being asked? Anything like that that stands out? Oh no, I don't. I don't get those questions. Okay. Uh, also, because you know, I, I would lose immediately. So I was like, "Oh, tell me about this card from 15 years ago." I'm like, "That's five years after I quit playing." Like, you know, you want to talk to me about stuff from I don't know, visions or mirage? Sure, I'll I'll do my level best because that's mm-hmm. you know I got still got a bunch of them. But someone's like, "Tell me something that happened," uh, you know, Lorwyn. I'm like, oh, "I don't know, man." So yeah, I don't know. Like, I did did, I did a Twitch stream for Boom. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of weeks ago and uh but I, you know, I was looking at the chat because i'm like that ah, i know enough not to <laughs> yeah <laughs> never read the comments <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um but yeah no, no no one's tried to gotcha me yet I'm, I'm sure it'll happen eventually but uh the thing is i'm i come from an education background i was a junior high teacher mm-hmm. up until you know about a little over a year ago hmm. uh and I'm, you know, I'm more than happy to admit that I don't know something because like, what am I going to do? Just bullshit my way into an even bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, this, this, this will not be the, the, uh, the podcast who got you on, on that. Um, <laughs> uh, but Matt, your wife does play magic, correct? He still has her old cards and plays when she gets together with friends and the couple of times when she has gone to conventions with me which she does not do often and there's like a magic play area she'll buy some packs and just throw something together and play for a while because it's get in there yeah exactly um but as you might imagine she hasn't lately since i don't play and she can't you know, and no one goes to conventions anymore because well, they don't exist. They're, exactly. Not till Thanksgiving weekend, apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's American Thanksgiving. I don't care. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. True. <laughs> so, so SDCC will be, you know, entirely just Canadians. a block with Canadians. Just, just <laughs> choke full of Canadians. And we're like, wow, it costs us a shit ton to get here. I wonder why it's so expensive. I, a part of me, like I, I know a lot of people have been reacting about that. I, I part of me thinks that maybe that was an intentional crowd control measure. Like if we do it on a holiday weekend, fewer people will come and illusion of safety. I don't know, but that's... I mean, it's it's a long time till uh, till Thanksgiving. A lot's going to a lot can change between now and then. So yes, a lot can go right, a lot can go wrong. Um, yep. Yeah, but uh, magic. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I'd never played. Uh, I have, there is a deck in my house. I don't know where it is. I don't know how I came to acquire it. I think maybe somebody slipped it into my bag at a con. But uh, in prepping for this interview, I downloaded uh, Arena, the the online version, uh, and played a little. Uh, it kind of reminded me of back back in the day. I used to play Uno on Xbox Live, and there was like a fantasy skin that you could just kind of slip over it, and it was still it was still Uno. <laughs> You know, obviously, magic is is far more complicated than that, and has rich lore and characters. I'm not trying to be reductive. Uh, I mean, the Uno extended universe goes pretty deep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Real we had to now. like skip cards and reverse cards, and you know, 
uh, not to mention draw for a while. But, um, you know, I, I, I felt just sort of playing a, a, a few hands like I did when I was 12 and playing Mortal Kombat for the first time uh, in the arcade. And I'm just like mashing buttons and hoping for the yeah. best, except, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pulling land cards so that I can draw mana from them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that's the thing I could, I mean, I still remember how to play, but also I feel like there's been such, I mean, 20 years is a long time for any sort of, living breathing game to exist like the rules change a lot like the the styles of play change a lot and i mean that's only the amount of time in which i've not been playing uh it's you know it goes back for like it's probably they, they cracked 30 years on magic yet it's gotta right. be close and you're close i think it's 93 so we're like yeah. knocking on the door yeah so like that's i mean that's wild the fact that this game still exists is incredible to me mm-hmm. uh and you know it speaks to just it speaks to its fan base and also its ability, which I really, you know, comic books could really learn from their ability to constantly bring in new fans mm-hmm. and, you know, to keep that fan base from just aging out and then having this thing disappear. Going the way of the Highlander card game. I guess there can only be zero as it turns out. <laughs> Actually, that's a terrible joke. Cause there is one. It's magic and one. Damn it. All right. So for those of you keeping score at home, that's one strike for me. One strike for Jed, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, I'll I, avoid I the Highlander up. jokes. Damn, uh, I'm, be- I'm, better, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, let's 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 move on to your Marvel work, uh, specifically sure. well, to uh, Black Cat. Uh, so you know, Felicia over the last few years has sort of become your your signature character at Marvel. You know, what what is your you know, you mentioned having all those, the, you know, your, your dad's old comics and everything, you know, what, what, what's your, your history with her? Uh, I mean, largely non-existent. Um, I'm, you know, I've always been aware of uh, Felicia peripherally. Uh, but, you know, she, she wasn't a character that was a big favorite of mine or a character that I particularly followed. Mm-hmm. Because again, she didn't exist in most of my comic collection, which ended like, I don't know, mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't turn up till, you know, right here. Uh-huh. So it's a little flex. <laughs> For the listener, Jed ha- just flashed uh, f- her first appearance. <laughs> um, so I wrote Dogs of the Dragon, the digital first series. And that was the first series that uh, I wrote for Marvel. And well, it was the first series I wrote, period. Um, and like most of my early career stuff, I generally assumed it was the last thing I was going to do. Um, because like, well, you know, what are the odds this is going to be successful or whatever? So I'm going to treat it like it's the last thing that I'm going to do and basically put all the stuff I wanted to put in it. So the Road Daughters is like a really high energy story, a lot of action, a lot of gags, a lot of laughs, um, that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, pretty well received by people at Marvel. Um, basically nobody read it because it was a digital first series. Uh, so... Unfortunately, didn't quite get the uh, the cultural toehold that I was hoping for, but it did quite well uh, among the editors. Uh, Nick Lowe, who's the editor on it, said, "You know, it's like I really love the series. I think it's uh, you know it's something different, something interesting, and something exciting." But there's no way they're going to let us do another Daughters of the Dragon series. He says, but after what's going on in ASM right now, Black Cat's back up in the forefront, and we're going to spin off a Black Cat series out of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. So. 
He's like, I want you to take the same kind of energy, the same tone, the same attitude or bounce or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And you know, channel that into a black cat series. So black cat was largely daughters, of the dragon part two kind of. So I basically, you know, went through it, boned up on, uh, you know, the history of the character and, uh, you know, figured out what it is that uh, I found interesting about her, what it is I liked about her, what it is I think would be really fun to put in a book. And that's just where it came from. Uh you know, had you expect you're on, you know, the second volume of this, uh, you know, had you expected the series to go this long when you first got the, got the gig? I sure hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, when we started out, I was, you know, plotting and planning and seeing where we we're going to start, where we we're going to end that kind of thing, working on the story. <coughs> I asked Nick, uh, you know, what, what should we plan for here? And he's like, well, we'll be lucky if we get 10 issues. So plan for 10. That's what we'll hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like, I mean, I'm, you guys, you guys are comic fans. You, you work in comics, you know, media, you know, how hard it is for a lot of series to get past that five issue hump. Yeah. you know, you'll get uh, an ongoing series or a mini that starts and it's canceled before number two hits mm-hmm. because it just, you know, didn't find an audience, didn't hit the sales. Um, you know, it just wasn't well received. So Basically, starting out, I figured if we got 10 issues, then I would be happy. Uh, I could consider it a success. Uh, I'd consider it an accomplishment. Then we can move on. Uh, you know, no hard feelings or gripes. <clears throat> but we got past that. Um, and, I mean, again, I was hoping for those 10 issues. Was aware that possibly it would be more like five. So, you know, making plans for that. But anyways, it's, um, we, got, we got through there. We're on issue four comes out next week which will be actually issue 16 now uh, we i was very pleased when they uh, agreed to put legacy numbering on the second volume ah. because for me like i know they like oh it's new number one that's that's exciting for people or you know lower numbers people are more interested in picking up the series but for me like every time that issue goes up that's like it's a triumph it's a win yeah so <clears throat> so yeah it's we got issue four slash 16 coming out next week. Um, and we're working on, I think I sent in issue 10 last week or a week before. Nice. Which would be issue 22 legacy numbered. Mm-hmm. And we're still playing more on from that. So as to the best of my knowledge, we're not canceled yet. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed. Right on. But uh, yeah, no, it's been we've, been, we've been very lucky. I've been very pleased. Um, Felicia's been able to develop, I think a new fan base. Other than, you know, every character's got the diehard fans. Mm-hmm. But where I think this book has been successful is in creating new fans as well. So, yeah, pretty happy. The second volume launched as part of King in Black. Uh, what's it like sort of being thrown into the deep end of this big crossover and trying to sort of reestablish the voice of the book or establish the voice of the book for people who haven't read it and are reading it because it's part of this giant event while dealing with the event stuff as well. That was tricky. Uh, it's, it's, it was certainly something I was not used to. Uh, I'd never written an event book before. And so, you know, obviously with COVID black cat went on hiatus, uh, originally number four, it's going to next week was supposed to be number 13. 
uh, which is why, you know, the end of number 12 ends off with Queen Cat. And then number 13 would have just been the Queen Cat issue. They went on hiatus like a lot of books did during COVID. And after, you know, a few months, we got the call and said, you know, we're going to put Black Cat back into production. Um, we're good to go. But we have a proviso. There's going to be a new number one. And that number one is going to be the first of a three-part King of Black tie-in. So, I mean, that, that was a new, a new challenge to deal with. And it's a particular challenge because I was working on a book that had to fill, you know, several different goals where first off it had to be a new number one. So it had to be friendly for new readers to jump in and be told, you know, here's these characters, here's what they get up to, here's why they do what they do, and here's what they're doing. It also had to be a black cat book so that, you know, the, the faithful readers from the previous volume didn't have to treat this like it was, you know, the tutorial mission where they say, oh, okay, we already know everything's going on here. What a waste of my money. But yeah, so you have to give them something new uh, and something exciting and something that, you know, they're looking for as a continuation of the previous volume. On top of that, it had to be a King of Black story. So we had to put enough information in this book so someone who was not reading King of Black would know what was going on without being a retread of what happened in King of Black number one. So there's a lot, there's a lot of juggling going on. Um, ultimately, I think we got there. Uh, I think it satisfied you know all three requirements there, but it certainly was a challenge on my end because it's you know it's just not something I was used to. And, and so now with issue four uh, slash sixteen slash what was going to be thirteen, <laughs> you know we're we're, we're yeah. sort of regular programming for. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we uh, we got an early look at a number four, which uh, comes out. It will be out by the time this episode drops. Yep. <laughs> time, flat circle, all that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're setting up this rivalry between Felicia and Queen Cat. Uh, you know, and I looked up the character's background, uh, not to make a cat pun, but actually expressly to make a cat pun. Uh, this might be my strike too. Uh, you know, as a, as a character, she seems like a, a rescue uh, insofar as she's a minor character with a complicated backstory. Uh, yeah. You know, like someone you look at and go, challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> why, why, was, why was Queen Cat someone that you wanted to explore? Well, I really liked the series that she appeared in, mm-hmm. uh, Axis Hobgoblin. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was great art. It was, you know, a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a great panel of, uh, it was, it was like the cover of Action Comics when he was crashing the car under the, the rock. So just Hobgoblin crashing the car under the rock. But instead of like the robbers or criminals running away holding their heads, it was the Ramones for like no reason. And it just absolutely just like got me right there. I loved it. Um, but yeah, Queen Cat, she was just one of those characters that was kind of in the back of my head when we started doing Black Cat. Um, so I'm like, well, I'm doing Black Cat, but there's someone else with, you know, the color inverted costume who is a hero. <clears throat> and who was also deeply a mess herself out there. I'm like, how can I bring this character in? Because I think there's those two characters that have to meet. You know, it's 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 leaving money on the table. Well, not really leaving money on the table. No one's clamoring for Queen Cat to come back, but it's you know leaving money on the table of my heart to uh, to let that go by. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I thought she's she's a fun character. She's a mess. Uh, she's got a ridiculous backstory. 
that's just as comic book as it can be. And uh, it was an opportunity to kind of switch gears, cool down a bit and, you know, make, make a transition by, you know, front, uh, putting her front and center as in the narrator of the story, making her the main character and seeing how someone on the outside would look at Felicia and her crew and what they get up to. And also kind of going through the history of the first volume, because it basically picks up in issue one of Black Cat, where <clears throat> we see Felicia at the Frick Gallery in New York, but from, um, from Queen Cat's perspective. So, yeah. So writing Black Cat would involve writing heists. And heists have always struck me as possibly second only to the Playfair mystery as logistically tricky because it, the, the, it's setting up a Rube Goldberg device. Yeah. And if something doesn't work, then the heist just sort of falls apart, not for the characters, but for the reader. Yeah, for sure. How do you come at writing those sort of mechanical, technically minded part of that story? Well, part of it is that realistically speaking, these are all of Felicia's heists are taking place over two issues of comic book. So they're not as mechanically taxing as you would see in like a film because we just don't have the real estate for it. You know, you got 40 pages to tell one of these things. So these are Rube Goldberg devices for sure, but it's less mousetrap and more, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have an example of a simple Rube, Rube Goldberg trap, maybe like an actual mousetrap. Maybe, I don't know. <clears throat> um, but it does like it does present certain challenges because you're saying here's these characters getting to the situation. First off, it has to be a colorful and interesting situation. Uh, because again, like when we, when I got into black cat, I wasn't interested in doing a cat burglar book, which sounds stupid because it's black cat. It was a, she's a burglar who dresses like a cat. Um, but I was interested in more, more colorful, more explosive criminality. I uh, came at it from, you know, like a loop in the third kind of uh, <clears throat> inspiration where it's not all about, you know, skipping over a laser maze or like repelling out of a skylight. Instead it's, you know, car chases, um, getting up in people's faces, uh, looking great. Well, you know, talking shit to people and all of that is what, what I find, you know, really interesting. And with the, the heist format, uh, you know, I hesitate to say formula. There's a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, be very, you know, put these characters in situations where they can be very sassy about it. So it is tricky where you're basically creating problems for yourself to solve, mm-hmm. but it being comic books, there's a lot more solutions to these problems than, you know, if you're in a strictly grounded universe, like an Ocean's Eleven movie or something like that, where you can't have super powered friends to figure stuff out for you or things like that. So yeah, it, it can be tricky, but honestly, I think it's easier to write these heists than if I was trying to do the cat burglar thing over and over again and make it interesting every time, which is not to say it's impossible to do. It's just not something I'm, I think I'd be particularly good at. Now, you're coming out of King and Black, you're getting a few issues, and then you're moving into 
another event type thing with something tying into infinite destinies. Was that another thing that they, the editorial came to you and said, we want black hat to be part of that. Or was that you kind of heard this thing? It's like, huh? Infinity gems. I know somebody who'd want to steal infinity gems. I mean, if you, if you go back to like news Ram interviews or whatever I did back when black cats started, I want to ever go after the infinity gems from the get go, but uh, I never thought we'd have uh, the opportunity to, but infinite destinies came about. Uh, I was down for a meeting in New York a little over a year ago, uh, you know, just before people stopped flying anywhere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I was in New York that weekend. And then shortly after I did Vancouver uh, Fan Expo. And then the week after that, basically everything was canceled. I think, uh, I think the show in Chicago went on and that was like the last yeah. show that went on anywhere. The last good time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I remember talking to, to Ed Briss and he's like, yeah, I went to that show. I probably, probably shouldn't have now that I think about it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so they basically said, you know, we, we want to do this thing where we're going to start, we're going to, you know, bring the Infinity Gems back into the, the Marvel Universe, you know, in a big way. Um, we've got <clears throat> a couple characters that, you know, we know are bonded to Infinity Gems. We've got, you know, Hector Batista over time. Uh, we've got Star, mm-hmm. the reality gem. But that leaves four other gems. And we want to figure out, you know, where these gems are. Who are they with? And Infinite Destinies was a way to get that in there. So Infinite Destinies, there's, you know, a series of annuals. It's a classic annual event. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got established characters either teaming up or coming into conflict with newer characters. And some of those characters are going to have Infinity Gems. Some of them are not. And all through that, we have a... uh, Nick Fury, Nick Fury backups. I think it's about five pages an issue, which I'm writing, yeah. uh, where Fury is uh, understandably upset about this uh, new status quo, this idea of a whole new variety of superpowers out there uh, bonded to people he doesn't know about, you know, and that's going to bring him into conflict with someone else who's interested in them. Um, so Infinite Destiny is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I've written... Uh, the Iron Man one, I've written the Black Hat one, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be writing the Avengers one. And um, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's a really, it's, it's something that's going to be a lot of fun because it's not an event that's going to totally derail or interrupt an ongoing series, mm-hmm. but it is, it's you know, like annuals, it's another opportunity for, for you to see your favorite character doing stuff but also interacting with characters who will be a big part of the Marvel universe to come. And so that was originally supposed to come out last summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, COVID uh, hiatuses, whatever. And we got lucky in that it dovetailed with, we were out with black cat. So we said, well, why don't we pick up on, pick up where infinite destinies leaves off with black cat? and have her tangled, get tangled with the Infinity Stones and all the sort of problems that brings. So <clears throat> it was kind of a bummer to have it delayed, but it actually worked out pretty well, at least for me particularly, because that became the next arc of Black Cat. Infinity Stones, I still... How many decades of Marvel Cinematic Universe and I still can't do it i still call them infinity <laughs> gems i know i know i know 
I mean, I honestly, I like Infinity Gems better too, but it's uh, it's, it's synergy, you know. Yeah, and I, I know. I, I would say Infinity Gems and an entire generation of fans would look at me like, huh? Mm. But as Jim someone Starlin would high five you, <laughs> but as someone whose first really the first Marvel comic he ever got invested in was Infinity Gauntlet. Right. It's Infinity Gems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's understandable. Actually, you know what? I am totally misremembering. The plan was to go right into Black Cat from Infinite Destinies from the get-go because both, both books were, can't, were put on hiatus around the same time. The King of Black spread it out. So, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I was totally wrong. That story was dumb. Well, you know, the, I mean, the funny, I mean, COVID has kind of, I know, has gone done crazy things with the publishing timeline uh yeah you know and there was another book where i was gonna ask about that specifically but uh before that you know, the, <laughs> i know the, i know the book you're talking about yeah i know you do uh <laughs> the uh the annuals as crossover trope like we already mentioned has has that rich history you know dating to stories like atlantis attacks in the 80s yeah. Shattershot and the X books in the nineties, uh, you know, uh, and I can't believe I get to reference this two episodes in a row, but we all fondly remember that time the high evolutionary showed up in Alf. Um, <laughs> I mean, they had to come from somewhere, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's either Wonder or Melmac. But uh, do you do you have a, a favorite one of those 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 annual events? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, it's yeah, I don't know actually. Cause I mean, I'll, like, I haven't read a whole ton of them to be honest. It's just I find the concept I, I really love mm-hmm. because it's it just seems like a perfect promotional idea to me. Where you have these annuals. I mean, annuals are great; they're a lot of fun. Everyone, lo- well, I mean, I, I assume everybody loves them because I love them. But uh, being deeply solipsistic, but um, it's just it seems like it's it's an opportunity to do something interesting but not necessarily disruptive. It's an opportunity to put, to, to be additive, to put new things in the universe and in a way that doesn't necessarily disrupt things that are already ongoing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a really, a really clean and perfect way to do something. And I'm not just saying like I'm writing a bunch of them, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a format that I, that I really like. And I think is just, just very reader friendly. Mm-hmm. No, that's that. That's definitely a a good way to approach it. Um, I, I am gonna I'm gonna say on my own. I am gonna I'm gonna go with Shattershot. Uh, mostly because a, anytime somebody wrote a story that attempted to explain uh, Shatterstar in the '90s, the next person ignored it and just did something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I, I think I was I, I was pitching a Dazzler book last year. Thought I me mean, obviously went nowhere. But I was trying to tease out the the Dazzler Longshot Shatterstar continuity. Yes, the Daddy Boros. I was like, "Oh, boy, like, oh, <laughs> what what a nightmare!" Uh, Definitely, yes. <laughs> Best not to think too hard on it, unless you're pitching a Dazzler series. But anyway, um, uh, I, I was. It is no longer a going concern. But mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah. Uh, Wanted to, to touch on Taskmaster, which, you know, just, just wrapped, uh, a, again, as we're recording uh, last week. Uh, but this, this book, you know, where Black Cat got put on pause, Taskmaster, I, you know, from, from the reader end, you know, got cast into sort of seeming oblivion for like mm. months with, with... Oh, it disappeared. 
yeah. Uh, you know, what, what, what was that like from your perspective? You know, you worked on this book, you had the green light on it, it was solicited, and, and now you're at this point, you know, do you have to keep kind of checking in, like, are we releasing it? Are we releasing it? Are we, you know, like a kid in the backseat of the yeah, car yeah. sort of thing? <laughs> I mean, I, I was to a certain extent, like, I didn't want to annoy anybody because I know that, you know, during the COVID thing, there were so many upheavals in the comic book industry and so many... Yeah. It's just so much chaos in the whole industry that I didn't want to bother people at Marvel when they're actually trying to you know, keep the ship afloat. Yeah. Uh, where I was asking, you know, where's my toy? But uh, yeah, because it was a drag. Well, actually, I mean, it was a drag, but it worked out better than it could have. When the, like the first new comic book day they stopped shipping was the was April first when yeah. Taskmaster number one was supposed to come out, which at first I was kind of bummed about, but in retrospect, Taskmaster one came out. And then two came out in December. That would have been a disaster. <laughs> like I don't know what I don't know what like they I don't know what would have happened to it. So it, it worked out well in that respect. But yeah, just like I was just kept kept trying to keep people excited because I was really trying to like whip people up on Twitter to get them excited about it. Because I, I really loved Taskmaster. I really loved writing the book. I really loved working with Alessandro and. I kept like, like, oh, I got to get people to, you know, get people to buy this book. I got to get people to get excited about it because I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get back with this character again. Um, so, you know, I was doing Taskmaster Tuesday where I'd put, uh, you know, Taskmaster panels up for previews. And I was doing that for weeks. Mm-hmm. Then, then I was like, okay, well, now I can stop doing this as the book's coming out. And they're like, the book's not coming out. I'm like, shit, I'm like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so, luckily, there's a, there's a real hardcore contingent of fans out there on Twitter of Taskmaster. And, uh, you know, they kept their hype going for better part of a year until we finally got going. And, um, yeah, it was very, it's very satisfying for the book to finally come out. And I was very pleased that, you know, it, it wasn't one of those books that, you know, notoriously gets consigned to limbo, just disappears. You never hear from, hear of it again, which, you know, there's books in modern history that just disappear mm-hmm. for what, you know, for one reason or another. Um, so Ultimately, it was a bummer, but basically the best bummer we could expect, um, given other ways it could have shaken out. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Now, uh, you had mentioned earlier that you had you you'd left your teaching job about a year and a, a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, before this to go into. Yeah, I basically. I quit around I think, the middle of November of 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. So like right, right before all this. Yeah. Happened. Yeah. Like I, I, I quit teaching because my writing had gotten to the point where um, <clears throat> I needed more, I needed more time to do it. I was making more money writing than I was teaching. Yeah. Um, and also my wife had gotten, uh, gotten out of freelance work and got a contract job. So that, covered our dental insurance so oh, okay. you know we live in canada so health insurance wasn't a, a problem thankfully um so yeah, like it basically it came together uh i was working part-time till they found someone to replace me but yeah it was just shortly after new york comic-con and i came back i'm just like yeah we gotta you guys gotta get somebody in here because i gotta i'm getting kind of stretched thin and then covid hit and then all the schools were shut down it's like man damn that was a that's good timing for me but uh yeah now were you able to keep writing through like the diamond paws and everything like that uh there are a couple months where i didn't really have anything to do um 
like Taskmaster had been mostly written. Um, Black Hat, I was several issues ahead on. I uh, had some of my Infinite Destiny stuff done. But got to a point where they said, like, listen, we're got to put pause on stuff. Everything goes on hiatus. We can't be, we can't just be paying for scripts and scripts and scripts. And we don't know what the industry is going to look like next month. Or we don't know what these books are going to look like next month. So, yeah, there were a couple months when I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, again, thankfully, I'd saved enough money. Uh, my wife was still working. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge deal. Uh, Canada, you know, in Canada, we had the CERB. So uh, if you weren't working, you could get, uh, get some money from the government and get that sorted out. But yeah, uh, I mean, largely though, I passed that period pretty easily. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a very fortunate position. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a big stress, as big a stress on me as it was on uh, you know, so many other people. And then eventually we just got back to working. So, yeah. Well, that, that's good. Uh, and, and a good reminder that other governments have their shit together. Um, <laughs> well, more together, but more together, more together. That's fair. Um, so when, when Marvel hands you a new character uh, or you're working with a character you haven't written before, you know, what, what is your approach? Do you tend to go heavy into like Marvel unlimited uh, research mode or, you know, uh, generally, I, I mean, I'll be honest, as a Marvel writer, my best friend is the, uh, the Marvel fandom wiki. Mm. It's, uh, it's great. It's got, you know, long rants of characters, but more importantly has all their appearances chronologically or, you know, almost all their appearances. Yeah. It is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fan built resource. It's, it's indispensable. I don't know how people did this before that. Like, no wonder there's so many continuity problems in old comics. Um, but yeah, then yeah, then it's on unlimited. Uh, just you know, track down various appearances, get the get the gist of stuff, figure out what's important, and also find stuff. Just kind of scroll away for you know some deep cuts that might be interesting to revisit. Um, but more than anything, the important part to me is to you know try to find the character's voice, try to find. Uh, what it is about the character that is interesting that you want to get out there and you know deep readings will basically sift that to the sift that to the surface and it's also great because you see perhaps uses of a character that you don't like you think well this is something i want to avoid uh this is not a direction i'm particularly interested in going in and that's you know just as useful Uh, so uh, finally, for Marvel, uh, you're also writing Avengers Mech Strike right now. Uh, is this one just for fun? Like, like Marvel Cartoon said, we want to do a story where it's the Avengers, but they're all in mech suits. Go nuts! <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> I got again. That was uh, in in the doldrums of COVID. Mech Strike was my uh, my first book working again. Um, you know, because Black Hat was still on pause and Taskmaster. Who the hell knew what was going on with that? Yeah, no, I got an email. Said so we're doing this thing. It's Avengers and robot suits. Here's the designs. What can you do with it? And I was like, Well, this is this is interesting. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely. I'll see what I can do with it. Because um, I mean, again, you know, the Avengers and robot suits. It's it, it's something that is not not an opportunity you generally get a lot. So I was something that was a lot that I actually found a lot more challenging than I originally uh, had figured. Um, First of all, I'd never written a team book before. Uh, the closest I got to that was in your daughters, and that's two people. Mm-hmm. But also, I hadn't written a book at that power level before. Mm-hmm. And most of my stuff is like, you know, street level stuff. 
you know, where if someone comes at you at this character with a gun, it's going to be an immediate problem you have to figure out. Whereas for most of the adventures, if someone comes at them with a gun, it's going to be a lot of laughs all around. Because, you know, you, you shoot the Hulk, you know, you're going to shoot Thor, you shoot Captain America, like with a pistol. Sure. All right. Good luck, bud. Um, but on top of that, I had to figure out why they needed these robot suits. Because, I mean, again, they're the Avengers. Like, the Avengers stamp Thanos down before breakfast. So what do they need even more power for? Um, so that went through a few, a few different iterations, actually, of, you know, I'd send in an outline saying, here's, here's where I'm going with this. What do you think of this? And they said, well, it doesn't really work for us. Or, you know, it doesn't really work in this particular way. Mm-hmm. And so we went back and forth on it a few times before we sort of settled on this, this biomechanoid threat in Avengers Mech Strike and the, the reason that they need these suits and, you know, the, the, the secret villains behind it all and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting process. And it was also really interesting to work outside of continuity where we wanted to treat it as if it could be in continuity but not be bound by it. Right. And my approach to it was taking a deeply silly idea like the Avengers and robot suits fighting monsters, but treating it, you know, extremely straight faced as if this was like the big summer event for Marvel, mm-hmm. which has not necessarily landed for everybody uh, looking at some of the reviews, but uh, I, you know, I thought it was an interesting take on it and uh, I'll stand by it. Sure. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw in another uh, Twitter question here. Uh your 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 compatriot and uh, friend of the show Zach Thompson asks, uh, mm. "How often does Jed eat potatoes?" Ah, uh, that's you know where that's coming from. Zach and I are from the same province in Canada, uh. Uh, Prince Edward Island, that is uh, famed for its potatoes. Um, people like to make a lot of jokes about how many how much potatoes we eat, uh, and the answer is I'll eat potatoes whenever I can get them. So that's you know that's where I'm from. Okay, Prince Edward Island, the Idaho of Canada. Did not know. Yeah. Um, but that, that that does beg the question. Uh, you know how how strong is sort of the the Canadian comics community? And like you know, I think we we had Ed Brisson on a couple of months ago, and and you know he mentioned when he was living in Vancouver, and you know there being a pretty strong sense of, sense of it there. Obviously, COVID throws any sort of you know meetups uh, into the gutter. But you know, do do you feel like there's like you know the creatives were, were living living. Uh, uh, up there pretty tight yeah yeah i mean like ed lives here we live yeah. in the same city so uh you know less so recently with COVID, but you know i would yeah. hang out with ed fairly frequently uh you know steve mcnivin's out here um and then there's a lot of you know comic fans and comic enthusiasts you know shop owners and stuff so yeah i think the the community is pretty good here i mean obviously it's not something like you would get in vancouver which has a much greater population mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, my eyes have really been open to it since I started working. Uh, I didn't, I had no idea that comics pros lived in maritime Canada, like anywhere in maritime Canada, uh, until I went to the comic store. I was like, Hey, I, my, for my first full issue, um, edge of spider Geddon number one was coming out. So I went to the strange adventures in the comic shop said, Hey, uh, I've got, I've got like a book coming out. Is there like a place where you put books for like local people? And, you know, Cal, the owner, was like, well, you, you have a Marvel book coming out? I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's coming out, like, tomorrow? I was like, yeah. 
It's like, well, why didn't you tell me this like a month ago? We could have like a, a signing or something, or like, would have ordered bigger on it. I was like, oh, didn't want to, didn't want to try to like big deal you. Sorry. Uh, but, it, but you know, so then he's like, well, these people live here. Um, you should go talk to them. And it was great. Uh, so yeah, it's a, there's a good, it's a good group of comic creators and comic enthusiasts uh, in Halifax. Awesome. Um, and I'll just throw in one more Canada question here. Uh, tragically hip or rush? Uh, B.H. Johnston. Okay. Right on. <laughs> um, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I've been actually reading, trying to read more books lately because it's only, I've only been reading comics and I feel like uh, it actually is rotting my brain. So like I read like, you know, words on, like grouped words on pages. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, currently I'm reading The Angel of Darkness. It's the, uh, the sequel to The Alienist by Caleb Carr. Uh, there was books I really liked when I was a teenager. So as I have been doing lately, I'm like, oh, I remember I liked that when I was young. I'm going to get it again and see if I still like it. And I still like it. So that's what I'm working on now. All right. Well, uh, it's, it's been great, uh, Jed. It's been, it's been an hour. Uh, final question. How can people follow you online and keep up with everything you got going on? Uh, basically just one-stop shop. Uh, I have an Instagram. I never use it. Um, I just had to lock down a, a close facsimile to my actual name. Um, but yeah, I can be found on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Jed McKay, J-E-D-M-A-C-K-A-Y. Uh, I don't know who Jed McKay spelled M-C-K-A-Y is, but People seem to think that he is me uh, a lot. So <laughs> uh, don't be fooled. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, I'm there. I'm usually just, you know, hyping my comics and then occasionally putting on my cross opinions. So say hi. All right. Jed, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, you guys spending the time. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is now part of Comics XF formerly Xavier Files, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at ComicsXF.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember to spay and neuter your good night and good luck. W -N -Q -A.